Good morning and welcome. It is a great day and it is good to see all of you here, both faculty and staff and students. And it is a, a great day that we have the opportunity to uh, induct Arthur into this chair of leadership. I want to have a, a few words of special welcome this morning. We have some guests for, with us that I'd like to uh, identify and highlight. We have uh, Dr. Jacob Ellens, who has joined us from Redeemer, and we are thankful for his participation and joining with us today. Jacob, maybe you'd just like to stand there. Thank you. These chairs in, in a university setting and a seminary setting are critical to the ability for us to continue to do research and lead on. And um, we are blessed by the generosity of Bob and Leslie Bernardo and their willingness to participate in this chair of leadership. And Bob and Leslie, I'd like to acknowledge you this morning, if you would. Thank you. One can never come to an event like this and not acknowledge family. And uh, it is very an honor to acknowledge both Arthur's mother and his wife here, his mother, Mrs. Uh, Ruley Vanderhoot. And if I got that wrong, he'll get me later. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, Arthur's wife, Lorna, welcome to both of you. It's uh, my pleasure this morning to bring a reading from God's Word. From the book of Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. From Mark chapter 10. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And from 1 Corinthians. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. The R.J. Bernardo Family Chair in Leadership, the first endowed chair at Tyndale, was established through the generous gift of the Cheris Foundation. And we are very privileged today to have in our midst Mr. and Mrs. Robert Bernardo. We honor you this day and express our gratitude to you as a community for the investment you have made in the work of God's kingdom at Tyndale. And we pray that this investment will bear fruit year after year in the lives of God's people who are equipped for godly Christian leadership in all spheres of life to which God calls them. The Endowed Chair of Leadership is one of the few of its kind in North American Christian University and seminaries. The purpose of the chair is to provide teaching and research aimed at fostering excellence in Christian leadership in the church, Christian organizations, 
in the marketplace and in the public square, especially in the Canadian context. As I've told Mr. Bernardo on many occasions, I believe the vision for the chair is inspired. In its design, the chair is linked to the establishment of the Tyndale Center for Leadership. The center is the bridge between the world of the academy and the frontline world of real lived leadership day by day. It's designed as a center of excellence in leadership, conducting, gathering, and disseminating research on leadership, and equipping leaders through a range of lifelong learning opportunities to grow and develop as vibrant, effective, and courageous leaders who are salt and light in this world. I want to acknowledge today Mr. Peter Dickens, who serves as the director of the Tyndale Center for Leadership. Peter comes to us with an extensive background in organizational leadership and consulting and works alongside of the chair in this role of bridge builder, bringing the knowledge of the academy to the front lines of leadership and bringing the wisdom of lived experience back into our teaching and learning. The search for the chair in leadership was an exciting but challenging process. We needed someone with the capacities not only to teach about leadership, to write about leadership, to reflect theologically on leadership, but someone who was a leader, a proven leader. And it is my great pleasure today to present to you Dr. Arthur Paul Boers as the holder of the R.J. Bernardo Family Chair in Leadership. Dr. Boers brings exceptional gifts and abilities to this position. In Arthur, we did indeed find a seasoned, godly, and effective leader who throughout his life has balanced the worlds of frontline ministry, leadership, and the scholarly world of teaching and writing. Arthur is a prolific author. He has published hundreds of articles and reviews, six books, and is currently working on his seventh. He comes to us most recently from the Associated Mennonite Biblical Seminary in Indiana, but he's a Canadian by birth, and God has called him home. <laughs> a brief biography of Arthur's background and experience is included in your program. But let me tell you some things that are not in his CV. Arthur came to us with sterling recommendations from colleagues, some of whom are here today. Here's what one person said. As I read your job description and reflected on Arthur's experience, skills, and capacities, the fit is unmistakable. It's as if you wrote the job description with him in mind. We agree. In these first few months of his time at Tyndale, we have seen in Arthur a person of character, creativity, and competence, and we look forward to the contribution he has and will make in and through the R.J. Bernardo Family Chair of Leadership. I invite Arthur to stand with me in the act of commissioning. In the presence of God and all gathered here today, 
we are pleased to install Arthur Paul Boers as the R.J. Bernardo Family Chair of Leadership. We believe God has gifted, guided us to this occasion and that God has led you, Arthur, to participate with us in the mission of God in and through this office and role. We believe you have been called and anointed of God to educate and equip God's people for Christian leadership and service in the church and the world. Do you affirm your calling to serve God in this community in and through this role as the R.J. Bernardo Family Chair of Leadership? I do with God's help. The mission of Tyndale Seminary is to provide Christ-centered graduate theological education for leaders in the church and society whose lives are marked by personal maturity, spiritual vigor, and moral integrity, and whose witness faithfully engages the culture with the gospel. The Chair of Leadership and the Leadership Center aims to raise the level of theologically reflective and effective Christian leadership in congregational, organizational, corporate, and public leadership contexts. Do you commit to faithfully participating in this mission and ministry? I do with God's help. In your role as chair of leadership, you are joining a community of faith and learning at Tyndale that includes students, staff, faculty, administrators, alumni, and the broad constituency of God's people who share a commitment to the mission of God at Tyndale. Do you commit to serving in partnership with the Tyndale community to the glory of God and to the benefit of those serving in and serving, served by this institution? I do with God's help. On behalf of Tyndale University College and Seminary, I welcome you to this community and pray God's blessing on you in your role as the Bernardo Family Chair of Leadership as a community, we in turn covenant to prayerfully support you, your wife Lorna, your family. May God bless you and keep you, and may God give you fruit for your labor as you serve him in this role, in this place, at this time. Amen. We want to pray a prayer of dedication for you, Arthur. May I ask you to stand on the first step? Will those on the platform please uh, join a circle around him? And we invite any others uh, who wish to join in a circle of uh, prayer to come forward if you wish, and certainly from your chairs to uh, join with us as we uh, dedicate this servant of Christ to this ministry. Holy and gracious God, Lord of the universe, gentle spirit, our constant guide, we bow before you this day together as a community with hearts united in adoration and gratitude to you for all good gifts that we receive from your hand. Thank you that you have created us and loved us with an everlasting love, and that you have privileged all of us, flawed and fallible though we are, to participate with you in the reign of Christ in this world. On this day, we thank you in particular 
for your servant, Arthur Paul Boers. Thank you that from all eternity, you have known him and loved him and called him by name. He is yours. Thank you for the family that nurtured his faith from childhood and for the home he has created together with his wife, Lorna, and their children. Bless this home. May it be a source of strength and renewal and spiritual companionship for all who enter. We intercede this day for Arthur, asking in the name of Jesus for your anointing on Arthur's work in the R.J. Bernardo family chair of leadership. Grant him spiritual wisdom as he teaches, both inside and outside the classroom. Grant him godly insight as he wrestles to think theologically and critically about leadership and about the formation of Christian leaders who can engage this culture with the gospel. Grant him clarity, energy, and focus in his research and writing. Grant him an open and generous spirit as he comes alongside students and all of God's people who are longing to grow and develop as leaders. We pray this day for a hedge of protection around him. May his work and ministry be unhindered, and may it bear much fruit. And may we all be inspired and blessed as a community by having Arthur among us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Members of the board, Mr. and Mrs. Bernardo, Dr. Janet Clark, fellow faculty, staff, Administrators, Peter Dickens of the Center, Dr. Jacob Ellens, my neighbor from St. David's, students, honored guests, and friends, I thank you today for coming and participating in this event. I feel humbled and challenged by this new role set before me, and I am grateful to be partnered with all of you in this venture. Many years ago, I went down to Kentucky to the Abbey of Gethsemane, made famous by Thomas Hurt Merton. It was my first visit there. I, was, I went on retreat, and on, upon arrival, I was startled to discover that the monks that day were celebrating the feast of the seat of St. Peter. Even as an appreciative, uh, appreciative uh, observer of matters liturgical, I had a little trouble understanding why Peter's seat was worth celebrating. 
And I must tell you that at first I was a little worried that they were celebrating some aspect of his physique. All day long I lived in suspense until a monk disappointingly informed me that this is the day that they celebrate the chair or the throne of Peter. By then I had been mischievously savoring the idea of some bizarre religious observance. This memory, however, strikes for me an appropriate cautionary note. To be awarded a chair is an honor that I deeply appreciate and I value. And I'm filled with gratitude and thrilled by this new and challenging responsibility. Yet Christian faith also counsels us to be carefully wary with honors. I may hold a chair, but I always need to keep things in perspective. After all, didn't Jesus warn in Matthew 23 against religious leaders who love to have the place of honor and the best seats or chairs? Today I want to address a few observations about leadership. And I hope that over the next few years, my colleagues can work with me and we can collaborate together to develop a rich leadership theology because not enough of that work has been done so far and a seminary is an ideal place to address it. So for now, I'll summarize in 15 minutes an entire comprehensive, comprehensible theology of leadership. As Victor Shepard would say, simple. As I approach this work, it seems to me that Trinitarian theology is important. Dwight Friesen reminds us that Christianity has a vision of God who exists in relationship even before time. God is in community with God's self. And this is a trinity in community that longs to be in relationship with us as well. When the seventh century preacher, John of Damascus, pondered the trinity, he spoke of the three persons as not being hierarchical, not vying with each other for power, neither among themselves nor indeed with us either. Rather, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dance with one another and invite us into this divine dynamic as well. The Trinity exhibits unity within a diverse community. The Trinity exhibits self-emptying love that makes room for the other through humble service and mission. Hence, the symbols on the table of basin, towel, loaf, are all key symbols, all evoking self-sacrificial Christian love. This dancing, convivial, outreaching trinity teaches us much when pondering Christian leadership. It subverts many assumptions that we have about leadership. And so I'd like to highlight a few themes with three particular texts. The first text comes from Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it's not just because it reminds us of the evangelical priority of walking, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them. This text cites a central biblical confession your God reigns. Psalm 96 says, Say among the nations, the Lord is king. 
Worship is always about rendering due reverence, loyalty, and fealty to God. Worship is the celebration of the rule or the reign of God, the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And worship always reiterates and reinforces our primary citizenship in God's kingdom rather than in any earthly dominion. Possibly the oldest text in the Bible is Moses' Exodus 15 victory poem after the miracle at the Red Sea. And there we see, the Lord will reign forever and ever. And thus there was a scandal some time later when Israel longed for human kings, and even later when Jesus' enemies said, we have no king but Caesar. The New Testament is one long call for obedience to God and for proclaiming Christ as Lord, a political designation. From the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve abandoned God's lordship, to the book of Revelation, which proclaims the triumph of the Lamb over Caesar, we are called to live towards the day when every knee shall bend and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As we ponder this God who reigns, there are two subversive implications. First, as the civilly disobedient apostles remind us, our loyalty is always first to God and God's reign and not to any human leaders or earthly kingdoms. As they said, we must obey God rather than humans. Or you might remember Jesus' rebuke to Satan, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Second, this is a call to us to be imitators of God. Hans Urs von Balthasar notes that God is, in essence, love and surrender. God is vulnerable. God's almightiness is seen in self-surrender and love and not in being able to do this or that as God chooses. God's essence is love. Von Balthasar says that God is so securely self-possessed that God is free to be self-surrendering. The message of reconciliation that Paul preaches, especially in 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 5, reminds us that God reached out to us non-coercively even when we were God's enemies. God does not force faith or obedience or compliance. The gospel is not spread by the sword, but by the word. And God always gives room to embrace, ignore, or reject good news. And this vulnerable God always has a priority for the voiceless, for the rejected, and for the alienated. That's why the Old Testament emphasizes a social trinity of widow, orphan, and alien. The greatest scandals in church history are when the church has been confused about these things, confused about God's almightiness as arbitrary power and decided that we Christians represent and might even wield power on God's behalf. And we still live with the tragic consequences and after effects of Constantine and Christendom, of crusades, of colonial, colonialism aligned with Christianity, even here in the promised land 
of Canada. Jesus commanded us to be as perfect as our Father in heaven in one way alone, in our love for enemies, in our vulnerable self-surrender, in our openness to others. That is the kind of leadership to which we are invited. Our God reigns. Let us serve and worship God and embrace and imitate God's perfect self-giving love. Jesus said, as we read in Mark 10, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is a text that we have to read whenever we work on a theology of leadership. Jesus is responding here to James and John, who want a place, a chair, of honor. Boers, beware. Jesus never said that we are all to be leaders, but he did say clearly that we are all to be servants. And as we consider the incarnation of Christ, the ministry of Jesus, there are two subversive themes here. First, the scriptures always show a deep, implicit mistrust of the leaders of this world. In this passage, Jesus denounces Gentile leaders who lord it over and act as tyrants. Elsewhere, he calls Herod a fox. In the Epiphany story, we read about the cynical leader Herod who jealously schemed to kill the newborn king even while pretending and professing that he wanted to offer honor and worship. James tells us in chapter 4 that God opposes the proud, and with few exceptions, there are not many exemplary rulers in the Bible. Apocalyptic texts such as Revelation warn us against how power is often distorted and misused. And so when I meet folks who tell me that they are eager to be leaders, I worry that they, like James and John, and me too often, may have misguided ambitions for power. Second, of course, in this passage, Jesus calls us to be service. He calls us to service. Service, servanthood, of course, describes his ministry. This was most dramatically shown when he washed the feet of the disciples. And John 13 reflects explicitly on what it means for the teacher and the Lord, a leader, to do this, this modeling of humble service. Jesus was, in the words of the great Philippians hymn, one who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. The final text from 1 Corinthians 12 says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Sometimes when we speak about leadership, we like to focus on stars. Much leadership literature is about business, sports, military, and political achievements. There is a temptation to emphasize status, profits, money, success, and numbers. But the scriptures keep counseling us against looking for obvious leaders. In Genesis, it's often not the oldest child who is favored, even though that was the culture of the day. David was chosen even though he was not the apparent one of all the many sons. The opening chapters of Luke, which we revisited this past month, 
make a point of naming the political leaders of the day, King Herod, Emperor Augustus, Governor Quirinius, but it was not these big shots that signified. Rather, it was Baron Elizabeth and Zechariah and humble folks such as Mary, Simeon, and Anna. The disciples, as we know, came from the back country, and they were uneducated, unlikely, and backwards. God's reign and mission is not worked out only or primarily through those who are up front or on top or even in endowed chairs. God's reign moves through all of God's people. We are all equipped to be leaders on behalf of God's reign. All Christians are agents of God's spirit called to inspire, challenge, and empower people to align together on behalf of God's reign in living out God's mission of redemption and healing in this world. David Bosch taught that the classical doctrine of God the Father sending the Son and God the Father and the Son sending the Spirit has been expanded to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sending the church into the world. There are two subversive implications here for us. First, we are all called and equipped by the Spirit to be leaders on behalf of God's reign. This is the meaning of baptism. We are all called to be salt and light, people of influence on God's behalf. For you'll remember the great prophecy cited in Acts 2 that God will pour out the Spirit upon all flesh. And second, more often than not, this means that God works through unexpected reversals. When we see the surprising work of God in raising valleys and leveling mountains, we can celebrate the actions of the Spirit in our midst. There is a story that particularly inspires me on Christian leadership. It's a story that goes back to the early days of the 1960s during the civil rights movement in the South, in the U.S. This was the era of grade schools being integrated, where black children and black little, black, little boys and little girls were escorted to newly integrated schools by ministers and military personnel because they were endangered. Angry white mobs lined the streets and the sidewalks, yelling, cursing, and hurling the vilest of insults at all these small people. Robert Coles interviewed many such, chil such children in the years following, and he asked them what kept them going, what motivated them, how did they hold up under such discouraging circumstances while being taunted and insulted and cursed by angry white adults. An eight-year-old little girl particularly astonished him. She was composed, as she explained. I was all alone as I walked, and those segregationist people were screaming. But suddenly I saw God smiling, and I, saw, and I smiled. This little girl had a vision, a momentary glimpse of the subversive leadership of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who favors the oppressed and calls the weak and overthrows the powerful by working through the vulnerable and the voiceless. But the story doesn't end there. The little girl continued, and there's going to be a little bit of language here that I apologize for, but it's part of the story. 
She continued her story, and she said, A woman was standing there near the school door, and she shouted at me, Hey, you little nigger, what are you smiling at? I looked right at her face, and I said, God. Then the woman looked up at the sky, and she looked back at me, and she said nothing more. She called me no more names. Of course. Didn't Isaiah say, and a little child shall lead them? This small believer teaches us much about the leadership of inspiring, challenging, and empowering others to join the mission of God's reign of redemption and healing to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.